0: It says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Personalize that, please. There are no ordinary people. When you look in the mirror, think about that for yourself. There are no ordinary people, and you've never locked eyes or spoken to a mere mortal. Think about the implications of that for yourself. When you look in the mirror and life is difficult, you say, wait a minute. I'm not ordinary. We're going to get uh, there as to why C.S. Lewis says that we are not ordinary, why there aren't any mere mortals. But not only is this um, approached um, and used for ourselves, but for each other. That there is nobody you will ever look at the person you work next to or the guy under the bridge asking for something. No mere mortals. That should have massive ripple effects for how we do life. So um, mere mortals don't exist. And as we go through this series, an eight week series, we're going to start to um, dig into why we were created. What is the purpose for our existence, for waking up every morning Is it more than our job? Is it more than our workout? Is it more than friends? Is it more than relationships? Is it more than a diploma or an award or a medal? Is it more than having a good time? What's our true destiny? Like big scope, big picture, 30,000 feet level, 30,000 foot level. What is it? We're going to start, especially today, to, um, like I said, dig into why you're created, why Scripture, the Bible says that you are not an ordinary being. So um, as we go through this, uh, I encourage us always to take some notes. Um, There are note cards somewhere around here. If you use your smartphone, do it. But there's going to be some stuff that comes up. I want to challenge all of us to grapple with these things with somebody who you're sitting next to during the week maybe or with each other um, over dinner or food, I don't know, grapple with these things. When, When you're driving to work tomorrow and something comes up, chew on it. How will this start to change us and get us closer to discovering our destiny? So if we're not ordinary, then we must be unique, right? And that's a truth that we have to start to understand. And for some of us, it will be so slow because there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain that we um, tend to um, leave in the past and we don't deal with. And the more it's there, the harder it is to even want to think and deal with it. Um, We are Imago Dei. And this is a term that is used... um, define our relationship with God, meaning that we are made in the image of Dios, we are made in the image of God, that's what makes you and I unique, that's what keeps you and I from being a mere mortal, it is a testament to God. Yes, you've worked hard for some things. Yes, you've got some diplomas on the wall. Yes, you've been awarded this and that, and you're recognized often. That's beautiful. I'm proud of you for that. Those are great things, but it's a testament to your creator. It's a testament to his power and love and grace working in your life, and he says you're made Like me. I made you to look like me, says God, the creator of the universe. He didn't make animals like that. He didn't make plants or the mountains or the birds or the fish. He said that statement about nothing except for humans. That is you. You are unique. You are made in the image of God. And the primary identity we want, especially in this first week, is to be able to grasp the fact that above anything else in your life, your primary identity is this. His daughter. His son. You are the son of God. The one who spoke and divided lightness from darkness... You are his child. This should far outweigh our insecurities. That fact should far outweigh the hurt that's been caused to us. And there's some major hurt in this room. That should outweigh deceptions that you've told yourself. Lies. The fact that you are his child should outweigh our anxieties about today and tomorrow. As his children, he promises that we will lack no good thing. That's a promise. We just need to align with what good things are in God's perspective versus ours. And that's a difficult thing to do as we're broken and sinful human beings and every day it's a struggle but our primary identity especially as we finish up with today and go through today this opening message is you are unique because you are his child you carry his name you are his heir yes and his riches are yours Riches of peace and love and joy. There's so much more for me to go. But when the Holy Spirit in us works, it will start to chisel away some of that pain. It will start to set us free for us to be able to discover our destiny. I know that there is no person in this room who will settle for just an ordinary life. I know that about you. Just status quo, the bare minimum. I just wanna barely get by. Some of you I know really well, some of you I know barely. But I could almost guarantee that none of us would say, I just wanna scrape by life. Our primary identity is as his child. And when we start to understand that, He will begin to set us free from the weights of the world, the weights of culture comparing ourselves to, they say it's supposed to be like that, so I need to stay ahead of the game. It will free us from that because many times we live captive to those things. What do my friends say? What does Facebook say and how do I keep up with the things that are happening in Facebook? We weren't created to try and keep up You are already declared as a child of God, supreme, above all. There is uh, a Washington Post reporter who calls um, the struggle for us to keep up with those around us, with the expectations of culture and society. She calls it a second persona. She says that we developed this, and this is what Meg Greenfield says. She says, high school is a time when people first contrive to have an image. It's an attempt to fabricate a whole second persona for public consumption. Living life inside this image requires continuous care, feeding, and above all, protection of self. It feels like you're never able to get undressed. It's hypocrisy at its ugliest. Refusing to be who we really are is the deepest form of despair. So Meg Greenfield did a study in the city where she lives, which, which is Washington. And she says the majority of the people in the city care about superficial things only. And they're trying to keep up the second persona. Trying to appear what you're not really And I love how she closes it up here in this quote. She says, refusing to be who we really are is the deepest form of despair. Because if we don't discover our destiny, we will go through life missing the grandness of what you, please personalize that, the grandness of what you were created for. We're gonna get through that through the next few weeks. I would encourage you to be here, to take notes, to sit down with another, to talk about it? What does this mean for you? What does it mean for me? We're going to start the work of an archaeologist as we go through this. An archaeologist surveys, goes and digs, they're on their hands, on their knees a lot, they're digging for clues of what? Of the past, right? It's hard work. Time consuming. And sometimes they find very small details of what they're hoping for. And this is kind of a preparation for all of us. That as we get deeper in the series, it's going to feel like hard work for those of us who have hurt from the past From things that have been done to us physically. Or things that have been said to us. This is going to be a tough thing. But we've got each other. I've got your interest. And I would hope that you've got mine. This is why this is so key. I can almost guarantee that what will happen in this room in the next couple of weeks... Or when we step away for lunch when we do. There are few other places that that happens. That that, that level of honesty and sincerity and just openness. I'm not saying that we don't have friends outside of here. But there is something where the people of God who are searching for what this all means. There is something that the Spirit does here. So I'd encourage us to embrace this. To see what God has for us. See, the more we start to discover our destiny, the more we know ourselves, the more joy we'll be able to have in life. Notice that I didn't say happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. You've got a bunch of money in the bank, that makes us happy. You don't have a lot of money in the bank, that's circumstantial. Guess what? The happiness goes out the window. Joy is in spite and despite circumstances and I contend that as we start to discover our destiny no mere mortals you are unique you are a daughter of God the creator of the world there will be the ability to discover that joy there will be the ability to be intimate with each other some of us Don't have joy. Cannot be intimate with others. I'm not talking about physically, by the way. We can't experience intimacy in relationships because we don't know ourselves. And if we don't know ourselves, how can we be open with others? How can we expect some meaning and some weight in relationships if we don't know ourselves? If we don't know what fulfills us and satisfies us, what we were created for, then it's difficult to do this. There's no real roots that grow. It's all superficial. I can put my face on. You can see my Facebook pictures. They're all good on Facebook, right? They're all good. Is there something deeper than that? As archaeologists, if we go through this Series to discover our destiny, I would contend to say absolutely. Way more important, way more significant than just that. And we'll begin to discover our destiny. As we dig, perhaps one of the biggest pieces of advice I can give you is to start to look at the past through God's lens I'm going to spend some time here for a moment because again I know there's pain in our hearts I know there's pain from our past some of it goes back to decades, some of it goes back to more recently And as we start to dig up, we're going to have a choice to either ignore it or deal with it. And I would pray that we would want to deal with it. The Apostle Paul, who wrote a majority of the books in the New Testament, speaks about the fact of pain and suffering in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 3 through 10 and he says this I'm going to spend some time here so don't run ahead of me please he says that when we suffer and if you've ever suffered and if you're real with yourself you know you need this so hear this please he says that when we suffer we're comforted by Christ He says that the more we suffer, the more comfort we experience. The more he showers us with comfort. And he says that he does that not only for our good, I love this, but for the good of each other. Because when we've suffered in a unique way, which most of us have, you're able to look at that past experience and one day sit down across a table over a meal and a drink with somebody and say, I've been there. And there are a few words that are more meaningful than I've been there or me too. So none of our suffering is in vain. He will redeem it all. And this is the healthy part of dealing with pain is that he says that the more desperate we become, the more helpless we become in dealing with this, he says it's a good thing because we find reliance on him. Do you see the beauty in that? The more desperate and needy we become, the more we surrender and give up. He says, that's a good spot because there you will find me, the author and perfecter of our faith. You will find me there. I was reading about Michelangelo's uh, work, The David. And I read that from the time that he started to work on it, there had passed 50 years from when a previous artist had had this massive piece of 20-foot marble in his location where he works. And after working on it, this prior artist, Michelangelo, he gave up. He threw in the towel. He said, I don't want to work on it anymore. Michelangelo came into this huge piece of marble and he said, that's mine. It took him four years to chisel what we know now as a David. Perhaps one of the most uh, most famous works of art, perhaps. And when David finished it, he said that he always knew that the David was inside this unfinished piece of marble. He said that it was the image of the heart. He said that beauty, that masterpiece was there already. He says, I just had to let him go. It took him four years to work on it. He said it was there already. He said, it's not about what was at that moment, but it was about what could be. And a masterpiece is born. World-renowned. And it sits in one of the most elegant and prestigious museums in the world, in Italy. And people flock to it. And they call it a masterpiece. One gave up, the other saw what could be. The Bible says that you are a masterpiece, Personalize it. You are a masterpiece. The Greek word for masterpiece is poem. You are a poem written by the hand of God. If you know anything about a poem, you don't sit down and knock it out without it costing you time and energy and love. And that's what God did for you. He says in Ephesians 2.10 that we are his masterpiece. This is how it says it exactly. Note the underlying stuff. We. We is you. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Old is gone. Pain is gone insecurities and lies and living under the weight and the expectations of the world is gone because you are something new in Christ Jesus we either take that truth and run with it or we take that truth and say God is a liar or a lunatic one of the two that's it he says we're created anew in Christ so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago He has created good things for us to do this word planned goes back to eastern culture where a king would send his servant ahead of him to make sure the pathway was clear to make sure there was people to welcome him to make sure that everything that the king needed over there was taken care of don't miss that the king would send the servant to do that so Jesus took that and he flipped it around And he as a king came to serve us, to prepare the way. We had nothing to offer him. And he came and prepares. So as we go through this, it's not about you trying to develop more things to do, add more things to to your calendar. If anything, it should provide rest for us. We're not out there trying to create all these things. He's already made us new. We've got an identity of as his son, as his daughter. He says, I've already prepared the good works. Jump on board to my good works. As a church, love in motion, and as a leader, that gives me freedom to know that he's already created. You know what we have to do? Be sensitive to what he's created and jump on board. The invitation is there. We try and dig up all these things that we want to or can and do it in vain, and spin our wheels, or we say, he's already told us what to do. Give him glory, love each other. The same is true for you at school, and at work, and where you live, and where you play, and where you hang out, and your family, when you go and visit, and you come back, and you sit here on Sunday morning, the same is true for you. Gives us freedom, allows us to breathe in, and rest. You are a masterpiece. So, if we're digging, then I've got to ask if you've ever felt captive to sin. And then you personalize whatever that sin may be. That addiction to something, that hurt, that weight, that expectation. Trying to live according to instead of. Have you ever felt captive to lies or hurt or pain you feel captive right now as I was reading uh, about the David in the museum in Italy it described it as being the centerpiece and it says that all of the that the corridor as you walk to see the David is adorned With other pieces of art that are not finished. And David calls these works captives. He says they're captive, they never finished what could be. So, what I read describes it as work where you can see part of a face in this piece of marble or other materials, part of an arm, kind of like sticking out part of a leg, a torso, and they're just like sitting there like, I'm frozen, I'm stuck, I'm held captive. Have you ever felt captive to anxiety, to worry, to that past pain, to what was done to you, perhaps to what you did to another, Do you sometimes go to bed at night and it's really heavy for you? Here's the good news. Here's something you should always hear on a Sunday morning at Love in Motion. The good news is this, is that Jesus Christ, in his mission statement, the first time he ever preached in public, written in scripture, recorded in scripture, he gives his mission statement. And he says, I came to set the captives free. And he's not talking about physical, exclusively. He's not talking about captives or people who are usually in prison. I came to set all the prisoners free. Can you do that? Sure. But that's not what he's talking about specifically. He's talking about spiritually captive. To the sin, to the weights, to the expectation of the world, to the lies, to the deception, to the anxiety to the trying to keep up, to past hurt and pain. He says, I came because you are my daughter, because you are my son. I came to set you free. That is his mission statement. I came to set the captives free. And the way he begins his work in us is by surrendering. We become heirs of Christ's work when we surrender. We get the riches of his glory and kindness and love. The infinite. We get it by doing nothing. There is nothing in this world that works like that. That's why it's called the good news. Capital G, capital N, underline the g underline the n that is the good news it doesn't make sense i get everything and i do nothing but surrender yes and this is why the message of jesus makes so many stumble because it's so good and so mind-blowing that you say can't be so what do we do we walk away from it we refuse it we try to be our own gods our own saviors. let me work harder let me know more let me handle my pain like this let me give and it takes us back to genesis They had paradise and Adam and Eve said, no, not your way, my way. I know better than you, God. I've been there many times, unfortunately. What he wants to do in our lives through this series beginning right now, today, is chisel away the captivity that we all have. Notice that I said that we all have. He says, I came to set you free because you are not a foreigner to me. You are my daughter. You are my son and I love you deeply. So we surrender. We say, I don't completely understand what's going on here but in my heart I just believe and I want. That's it. You get everything by doing nothing. And as we get to know God better, we get to know self better. And as we get to know self better, we begin to discover our destiny better. Jesus, thank you for your power and your love. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for setting us free from the captivity of sin of anxiety, of the weights of the world, of past and present pain, addictions. Thank you for loving us so much that you've called us our son, your son, and your daughters. In your name we pray, amen.